Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. All right, so we're going to be talking today about a topic that uh, we get a lot of queries on. We get a lot of, uh, you know, questions, people, you know, people writing in and asking us stuff. And every couple of years, we sort of dedicate a Sunday to making sure we're all on the same page with it. This is a topic, we're going to be talking about baptism. Baptism is a topic that is, for, for reasons I don't fully understand, really divisive. This is one of those things that Christians just kind of get their underwear in a bunch over from time to time. And it's like something we just need to like, like just let's just take it down a notch and, and, and straighten things out uh, for a minute. And before I say another word, I want to acknowledge the work of another pastor that I heard teach on this matter, a guy named Andy Stanley. He said a few things so well, I'm just going to repeat verbatim what he said. So if you ever hear any of this content somewhere else and you're thinking, hey, that guy ripped off my pastor, that's not what happened. Okay, so... Um, so basically, baptism, what is baptism and why do we baptize people and how come there's so many different ways to baptize people? Uh, baptism is a part of Christian doctrine. Doctrine is just a fancy way of saying stuff we believe. And baptism is what we call primary doctrine, which means all Christian churches kind of uh, practice that. So let me help you guys understand something about, about Christian doctrine, because this will help you figure out if you're new, if you've kind of on-ramped into our church over the last year or two during, during COVID or even pre-COVID, this will help you figure out whether or not you want to make True North, you know, your home church. Um, if you decided you wanted to be a believer, if you decided you wanted to be a Christ follower, a Christian, and, and, and you didn't have any church experience, maybe you might put together a little experiment where you went to a bunch of different churches on consecutive Sundays. So let's say for a minute you took send, a, a, a summer project. You took 10 Sundays and you visited 10 different churches. You visited a Lutheran church and a Presbyterian church and an Episcopalian church and a Baptist church and a Methodist church. You went to 10 different types of Christian churches on 10 different Sundays. You would observe that there are some things that all 10 of those churches agree upon. That list of stuff is called primary doctrine. Primary doctrine includes stuff like Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, rose physically from the dead on the third day for the forgiveness of our sins. These are things that all Christian churches believe in. If your church doesn't teach those primary doctrines, your church might not be a Christian church, as the New Testament describes it. Primary doctrine is stuff all Christians agree on, and all Christians agree that baptism is supposed to be a part of what we do. But if you continued your little experiment and you went to 10 different churches on 10 different Sundays, you would also observe that there is an enormous list of stuff that all those churches disagree on. And they... Mike. I love you, but that was not the right moment for an amen. I'm talking about stuff that churches disagree on, okay? It's easy. Um, you know, so... so there's tons of stuff the churches disagree on, right? They, 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 and and that, the, the list of stuff the churches disagree on could fill libraries. I mean, everything from who gets to be a pastor, who gets to preach, whether, whether uh, it's just men who can communicate from the stage or women, what the, whether the pastor wears robes or a clerical collar or a suit and tie or something more casual or baseball jerseys or... or uh, you know, or how a church handles communion, how a church handles divorce and divorced people, how a church uh, handles uh, youth group and, and, and uh, 
remarriage and communion and how a person is saved and how the forgiveness of sins take place and like all there's just like books and books and books and each book has like sections and chapters and subsections and subpoints and sub 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 points and then just when a, when a group when a tribe a denomination has all of their secondary doctrine in order somebody decides that they're going to get in a twist over like Chapter 3, subsection C, point 0.9, word B. And they drill all the way down into these subsections. And they say, you know, this says you, or this says, this says us, and it should, it's like singular, and it should be plural. And I'm so sure that it should be we instead of you that I'm going to form a whole new denomination. And I'm going to gather a whole bunch of people who, who agree with me, and we're going to splinter off from the mothership and form our own group because we now have all of our secondary doctrine right, and we put a flag in the ground here, and here we stand. As absurd as that sounds, that has happened thousands of times in the history of Christianity. There are not dozens of denominations. There are not hundreds. There are thousands. Because every time somebody gathers all their secondary doctrine up, somebody gets their underwear in a bunch over one little subpoint and sub-sub-subpoint and sub-sub-sub-sub-subpoint and decides they now want to form a new group. So here's the way we handle secondary doctrine at True North. When it comes to primary doctrine, this is ground we will defend. This is ground we're serious about. The primary doctrines of Christianity is stuff we don't fool around with. But when it comes to secondary doctrine, we have opinions, but we don't enforce those opinions on the, on the congregation writ large. So if you wanted to become a member of any one of those 10 churches you went to on any given Sunday, you'd have to take a class and sign off on a lot of different points of secondary doctrine. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. We, we, one of the things that makes True North unusual, we don't do membership. Like there's no, we don't, you don't get to be a member here. We, in our mind, like if you show up and you participate and you're around, you're a member. W welcome aboard. Congratulations. Um, and the reason we don't do membership is because there's tons of churches on Long Island that have, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people in their membership roles, but nobody ever actually goes to church. So we don't think that church is, a, is supposed to have like a membership model. So we don't do membership. We're not throwing shade at others who do. That's, we just have different ways of doing things. But our deal is we cling to primary doctrine. And when it comes to secondary doctrine, we have opinions. But we allow for a lot of breathing room on those things. So there are some things I'm going to talk about today with regard to baptism that you may or may not disagree with, and that is okay, because we're going to figure it all out in heaven. Our deal is there are tons of things that could divide us and a bunch of stuff that binds us together. Our goal here is to keep the main thing the main thing, to major in the majors and minor in the minors and keep our eyes fixed on the things that bind us together, not on the things that divide us. So, why is baptism part of primary doctrine? Why is it part of stuff everybody believes? Because of this particular verse. This is uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verse 19. It says this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So this is primary Christian doctrine all Christians believe that baptism is a part of the life of a believer. But how baptism occurs is secondary doctrine. How baptism occurs, people disagree on all the time. And, and, and like otherwise right-thinking, honest, Bible-believing people will swear that you're not a believer if you don't get baptized the way they say you should. 
So why, why all the controversy? Here's why. You probably, most of you probably never thought about this, but when Jesus and his disciples were walking the earth, they weren't speaking English. They spoke uh, Hebrew and a now extinct language called Aramaic. Most of our original, do- most of our original documents from the, old, from the New Testament, I mean, uh, come from ancient Greek. And when the translation team, which was bringing the Greek into English so we could all read it, when this translation team of scholars got to the word baptize, they didn't know how to translate it. They didn't know what to do with it. There were three different uses of the word baptizo. It's the Greek word is the word baptizo. There are three different uses for the word baptizo in first century language. The word baptizo could mean to drown. So if there was a shipwreck off the coast, all hands lost, they would say in, in, in the first century, it was a terrible tragedy. Everybody baptizoed, everybody drowned. The second use of the word is to dunk or to immerse or to soak. So if you were dyeing a piece of cloth and you weren't doing a very good job of it, somebody might say, nah, man, you got to baptizo that thing. you got to get it under there and dunk it. Or baptizo could mean to ceremonially wash, a ceremonial washing that takes place when a person converts to Judaism. So let's say for a minute you're a Roman citizen. Go with me. I know it's kind of weird. Just kind of hang with me. You're a Roman citizen. It's the first century. And you grew up with Roman religion, which is the pantheon of Greek and Roman gods. Anybody remember Greek mythology from middle school? Nobody, really? Okay, so there's lots of different gods. They have gods for every different thing, lots of different Greek and Roman gods, and you grew up in the Roman pantheon of of different gods to worship, and it always seemed to you to be a little bit odd. Like, you're you're now of an age where, as everyone eventually does, you're questioning the religion that you grew up in, and you're kind of looking at it and going, this doesn't make a lot of sense, and you work at the market, and the guy next to you at the next stall is Jewish, and you've heard that Jewish people only have one god, and that interests you. So you're talking to your buddy, it's a slow day, and you're like, you know, I'm kind of not really believing in this whole pantheon of different gods things. I heard you guys only have one god. That actually makes sense. How does that work? Like if I wanted to become like you, like if I wanted to convert and begin to believe what you believe and become Jewish, could I do that? Like could I become Jewish? Your buddy would look back and you'd go, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you could could convert. Well, how do I, uh, well, okay. Let's start with the hard part. Have you heard of circumcision? Yeah, okay, I'm good. I'm uh, going to take my chances with the Greek mythology. Thanks very much. Just have a good day. It's probably what you'd say. But if you were serious and you wanted to push, you'd say, okay, what else is there? Well, you have to read the Torah and you have to sign off on the law of Moses. And there's like a, a ceremonial meal where you gather with everybody and become a part of the family. And then you get baptized. There's a ceremonial washing. And you go, well, tell me some more about that. Well, a baptizo, a washing, is when you are, you know, you kind of stand in a shallow pool and a rabbi pours water over you. Um pours water over you for the forgiveness of your old life. You are washing away, not the forgiveness of sins, you're washing away an old life. It's a ceremony. Your old life as a Roman is washed away, and you begin your new life as a Jewish man, and now this is a new beginning for you. That's baptizo. So you're like, oh, okay, cool. So when the translation teams got to the word baptizo, when they came to the word baptizo and they read, go into all the world, baptizoing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they, 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 they were able to rule out drowning as a definition. 
It was pretty clear that if Christianity just drowned all its converts, that it would have vanished from the earth, and that would have been a very unpopular religion. So they said, okay, obviously wasn't drowning, but we don't know whether Jesus was referring to a ceremonial washing into Judaism or whether he was talking about something else that involved immersion or dunking or soaking. So the translation teams were at such loggerheads on this, they were at such at odds on this, they actually chose not to translate the word. They didn't translate the word baptizo. They transliterated it, which means they just pushed a Greek word into English. The word baptize is a Greek word that just got pushed into the English language, and the translation teams basically said, this is the best we can do, you guys got to figure it out from here. Which is why today, some people baptize infants, some people baptize adults, some people baptize by pouring or sprinkling, some people baptize by immersion. There's lots of different ways and methods, and it's all secondary doctrine. We're all figuring it out together as we go. Okay, so back to our uh, Roman guy, yeah? Roman guy uh, goes home to his wife. You, 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 you're the Roman guy. You go home to your, your wife that night, and you go, yeah, I was having a really good talk with my buddy who works next to me, and, and he was telling me all this different stuff about, you know, becoming Jewish because, you know, we, you know we've been talking, you know, the, the pantheon of gods doesn't make a lot of sense to either one of us, honey. I was thinking about this whole Jewish thing, uh, and he was telling me, you gotta, if you're going to do it, you've got to go baptizoed. You've got to get baptizoed, and she might, your wife, look at you and say, well, it's just such a weird coincidence. I was down today by the river doing our wash. I was washing our clothing, and there's this guy that's been by the river like every day, and huge crowds of people are coming to see him, and his name is John, and he's, he's baptizing these people, and they even, like, he does this so much he has a nickname. They call him John Who Washes. John Who Baptizos. John the Baptist. Some of you have wondered in your life, how come the Baptists made it into the Bible? They didn't. It was John who washes. That's his deal, okay? John who baptizos. And you're like, that's crazy. I want to see this guy. I want to know what's going on. People are turning from their sins. They're stepping into a new life. I want to know what's happening. So maybe that day, or the following day, you wake up and you go with your wife down to the, the riverside, and sure enough, here's John looking crazy. He's out there, and, and people are coming up to him, and they're repenting of their sins, and they're turning away from an old life, and they want to start a new life, and he's washing them. He's baptizing them in the river, and it's not clear right here from the scriptures. We don't know. Is he pouring water over their head? Is he dunking them? We just don't know. We're trying to figure this out from context. We're trying to figure this out from what we see, and then John who washes, John the Baptist sees you kind of gathering around and what he does is he points in your direction he points at you and he says behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world and you go and then you feel a hand on your shoulder and jesus of nazareth moves you gently to the right and walks down to the river's edge where he is baptized this is the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 11. One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, 
and you bring me great joy. So Jesus is baptized, and we're commanded to be baptized. But, but the scripture isn't clear about the mode or the method. So was John in the Jordan River pouring water over people's heads? Or was he in the Jordan River immersing people? You guys want the truth? Ready for some truth? Mike, now it's time to say amen. amen. That's great. Thanks, Mike. Okay, so you want the truth? We don't know. We don't know. Everybody claims they know, but we don't. Okay? If you go to a church where baptism is by pouring or by sprinkling, when you come to the phrase, as he was coming up out of the water, well, obviously that means as he was walking up the riverbank, coming up out of the river. Or if you go to a church where baptism is by immersion, as he was coming up out of the water clearly means as he was done being immersed. The truth is, we don't know. So the best guess we've got, as far as I can tell in the scholarship that I've read and the study that I've done and the traditions of Christianity within we, to which we uh, hold, we believe baptism is done by immersion. I think that's what was going on in the Jordan River uh, all those years ago. But if you don't believe that, that's okay. You want to believe a different thing about the mode of baptism? You don't have to take your bat and ball and go home and go be a part of another church. That's all right. That is secondary doctrine. We'll all figure that out in heaven. Now, why do some people, why do some faith traditions baptize babies? I'm, like uh, some of you, I grew up Catholic. So I was baptized. My mother and father made a decision uh, long ago that I would be baptized a Catholic as an infant. Some of you were baptized as uh, infants. Some of you now are locked in mortal combat with your family because you have a child, you have a baby, and True North is your home church, and we don't baptize babies here. Be and the reason we don't baptize babies here is because in the New Testament, every baptism specifically mentioned in the New Testament happens after a person believes. They believe and are baptized. That's what's right there in the scriptures. Um, but some of you are, you're like, you're in big trouble with your parents, or you're in big trouble with, many of you have come to me and gone, all right, look, Pastor Park, you got to do me a favor. I know you don't baptize babies, but could you just do a little something for me here? Because if I don't baptize this kid, my mother is going to kill me. Like my mother, a dedication is not going to get it done for my mother or my grandmother. They need a real, like, and, and, and for mom and grandma, it's a big deal. Now, why is it such a big deal to so many? Why does this issue just get so many people bent? Here's why. For some faith traditions, including our Catholic brothers and sisters and, and many other uh, Christian denominations, for some, baptism is seen as a means of God's grace to the child. The, the, the vehicle by which God's grace comes to the baby. So there exists the possibility within certain faith traditions that a child unbaptized might exist outside of God's grace and might be in real trouble if they died before they were baptized. Did everybody follow that? I hesitate even to bring this up because it's so horrible. But here's the problem with that. The truth, nobody actually believes that. Nobody actually believes it, and I can prove it. If anybody actually believed 
that baptism is the thing that brought God's grace to a baby. If anyone actually believed that a child unbaptized was somehow outside of God's grace, we would be baptizing children in the delivery room. We'd be baptizing them the instant they were born. And even in traditions that believe in infant baptism, months go by between birth and baptism. Everyone following me? What that means is that's not, we're not really worried that this precious little child is in mortal peril because they haven't yet been baptized. Now, if that's the tradition you grew up in, rock on with your bad self. You want to, like, stay, you want to rely on that and that's, hey, listen, I was baptized as a baby and it stuck. I'm good. That's great. I'm all good with that. That's, that's not a problem. But if you're worried and I just need, oh, do I need to speak that into somebody? Is there somebody here? Or do you know someone who lost a child and they hadn't had the, the baby baptized and, and there's, there's any little seed of doubt? Could we just agree now and could I speak a word into you in this moment that God takes that little child into his arms and that they grow up in heaven and that you will see them again someday? Like, let there be no doubt on that matter, okay? Like, we're just going to clear the air on that right now. And sometimes that doctrine, that infant baptism doctrine, messes with us. And the way I'm seeing it, I mean, I just... There are things that are clear in Scripture and there are things that are not. And I'm just telling you right now, if a child's eternal salvation depended on baptism, it would be in the New Testament. It'd be written. So, sorry, I just get excited. All right, so, the deal is, we believe baptism is for believers. Now, what's going on in baptism? What, What happens in the water? Oh, it's a really good question. We don't believe that baptism is for the forgiveness of sins. Because Jesus got baptized and he had no sin. So we don't believe that baptism is what washes away your sin. If that was the truth, if baptism washed away sin, the best thing we could do would just be to baptize people against their will. Like show up in Times Square with a fire hose and just... (laughs) You're welcome. Baptism, as we understand it, is an outward confession of an inward change. It's used to, and this is why it's always my favorite day of the summer. Usually we do this at the beach. We need a permit, so we're waiting on a permit. That's why we don't have more details. But usually it's normal for us to have 100 or so people getting baptized and another couple hundred on the shore. And it's you standing up in front of whoever's watching and your family and whoever you brought and saying, I belong to Jesus Christ and I don't care who knows it. It's a pu- Okay, that's all right, Mike. I'll let you slide on that. I'm here to, to say my life belongs to him. And... and, and, and But we do believe, now stay with me for a little bit of the mystery, okay? We do believe something supernatural happens in the water. We do. That this is a sacrament put in place by Jesus Christ himself. And that when the the words in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the water meet each other, Something supernatural happens in our soul. That an old life is washed away and a new life begins. And it's beautiful and wonderful and transcendent. And you're invited. You're invited. You don't have to. There will be people in heaven who were baptized as babies, 
There will be people in heaven who are baptized as teenagers. There'll be people who are in heaven who are baptized as adults. There are people in heaven who are baptized as adults probably seven or eight times because they're always worried that the first seven didn't stick. Which you don't need to do that. Um, and there will be people in heaven who were never baptized. Do you remember the thief on the cross? The guy crucified right next to Jesus, who, by the way, was guilty of the crimes, deserving of crucifixion, who says to Jesus, when you come to your kingdom, Lord, remember me. And Jesus says to him, verily this day we will be together in paradise. That guy didn't get baptized. So that baptism might occur and should occur in the life of every believer, it's primary doctrine. We hope you do and will. How baptism occurs, our take on it is that baptism is for a believing person by immersion, stepping out of a new life, out of an old life and stepping into a new one, and you're invited to participate, and we'd love to have you. But if you don't buy that or you're not sure about that, you're still welcome to swim in our swimming pool. You don't have to take your bat and ball and go home because we are not going to be a church that focuses on the minutia of secondary doctrine. We're going to be a church that focuses on us on all the things that bind us together in Christ. So that's the deal. All right? Cool. And with that, let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you for the opportunity you've given us to turn to your word and hear from you. And Father, we know that all of the points and sub-points and sub-sub-sub-points probably drive you crazy. Um, even though we mean well and our aim is just to get it right. Father, focus us together on the things that bind us into one family. Focus us together with one mind and one heart and one body into the things that unite us. And Father, for those who may be on the edge on this, maybe on the fence, unsure, I would be so bold this morning, Father, as to pray, just give them a little nudge and inspire them to jump into this, this beautiful thing that you've called us to and that you've commanded for all your followers throughout time, which binds us together to every believer who has ever lived. May that be so in our lives. We pray together. Amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give, or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word True North to 77977 on your cell phone and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.